Uh, let's bow for a word of prayer as we begin. Dear God in heaven, we come to you thanking you for this day that you've given to us. We pray, Lord, that you would continue to guide and direct us as we study the, the a message that Micah gave to the children of Israel. And uh, just pray, Lord, that you would help us to learn from this and to take heed of your word. We ask this in your precious name. Amen. Okay, I was just thinking this week as I was, the, you know, the evenings are really coming early. We only have about 10 days, and the days are going to start getting longer. So, <laughs> so it's good to see that. Okay, we're back into Micah. We'll, finish, we'll be uh, finishing chapter 2, hopefully, and then going on into chapter 3. And chapter 1 of Micah, just for a little bit of review, Micah is going through and he's talking about all of these towns and the Shephelah, which are down the southwest of Jerusalem in the foothill areas, and he is using the names of these towns to talk about what is going to happen to these people if they do not obey God's word. And so chapter 1 pretty well goes through this and names various towns. Then we see the start of chapter 2, where we were last Sunday, and he is talking to the rulers and the powerful people, the rich people, and uh, talking to them about what they were doing and how they were subjugating the people there, and the only reason why they were doing it was because they could. Uh, they had the power to do this, they could uh, withhold the money. They could do all of these things, and so he is telling them that they are to be that they're because, that they're going to uh, then they're going to suffer the same feat of the same fate as what they are giving to the common people there. So we will go on over to chapter two and verse eleven. He is talking about the fact that uh, the people are going, to, he is preaching to them and God is preaching to them and telling them what's going to happen to them. Then we have verse 11. If a man should go about and utter wind and lies, saying, I will preach to you of wine and strong drink, he would be the cre preacher for this people. Now, this is kind of an odd thing to put into this place uh, in, in the narrative, but this again is typical of Micah. He kind of jumps all over the place, and if you're not paying attention to what he is saying, you're probably going to get lost. But what he's talking about here is that if somebody should go about uttering wind, uh, what is our common expression for that? Somebody who's under uttering wind. Yes. Blowing smoke. All right. That's a good common uh, definition for it. Anybody else? A windbag. All right. So anyway, this is what, he, what Micah is saying, that you need a preacher that's a windbag or blowing smoke because what do you want to hear? You want to hear preaching of wine and strong drink, all of the good things uh, that they considered the good things of life. And so they didn't want to hear anything about what 
Micah had been talking about, which were all of the things that were going to happen to them if they did not repent. And so he is saying that, uh, you know, you, you just want to have health and wealth, seeker-friendly type individuals. You don't want to hear anything about what's going to happen to you if you do not obey. Then we jump to verse 12. I will surely assemble all of you, O Jacob. I will gather the remnant of Israel. I will set them together like a sheep in a fold, like a flock in its pasture, a noisy multitude of men. Now, maybe some of you would think that should be a noisy multitude of women, but anyway, men could be the same thing as they get together and so on. But what is God telling them here uh, about the people that we have that are obeying his word? In Ezekiel, he talks about this. In Ezekiel chapter 36, verses 37 and 38, Thus says the Lord God, This also I will let the house of Israel ask me to do for them, to increase their people like a flock, like the flock for sacrifices, like the flock at Jerusalem during her appointed feasts, so shall the waste cities be filled with flocks of people, and they will know that I am the Lord. Who was the individual that decried the fact that he was the only guy left on the earth that was obeying God. Okay, you've got two chance, two choices here. Elijah. Okay, it's either Elijah or Elisha. Nobody wanted to answer because they were afraid. Okay, but anyway, you know, he's, he's telling God, God, you know, I, I'm the only guy left on the, on the earth that is uh, spreading your word. And this is kind of the way the children of Israel, some of the children of Israel, those who are faithful, felt. But God is telling that, no, I will assemble this group from Jacob, which would be the, the Jewish individuals, and I'll set them together, separate them, and it'll be like a noisy multitude of men. Or he could have used the term a noisy multitude of sheep. Uh, I don't know how many of you have ever been involved with shearing sheep, but you get a whole group of sheep together, a flock of sheep together, and it gets pretty noisy in there as you're going on in there to root them out and bring them on over to the shearers. But it's very noisy, and so this is what he's saying. There, there's enough people here that are still following me that it's, it's going to be noisy if we would have these all together. Then we see in verse 13, he who opens the breach goes up before them. They break through and pass the gate, going out by it. Their king passes on before them, the Lord at their head. What does this mean? Yes. Okay, all right, where he has the gate and everybody has to go through there. Anyone else? 
Okay, when we talk about the, uh, they break through and pass the gate, this is the idea that there's a lot of people that are going through at one time. And that he is again emphasizing this vision that he has given to them of the multitude of people that have not uh, turned away from God. One of the, uh, I received a commentary from the pastor on this, and he has some very, uh, he has some unique ways of expressing things, and he talks about this, uh, the breaker. The breaker is the idea of somebody breaking open this area and just letting it come on out. It's kind of like if you have a, a container that's totally filled with liquid, water, anything like that, and you punch a hole through it, and boy, everything comes rushing out. This is kind of the picture that Micah is trying to come up with here. Uh, the, uh, the note of the breaker or the smasher, which we have here in uh, chapter 2, verse 13, says he opens up the breach and they break through. Such a note reminds me of a fascinating minister in the Scottish Highlands in the 1700s. Now, he would not be able to do what they, he did back in the 1700s. It was rather interesting. Aeneas Sage was a man of enormous strength, and he found that kind invitations to worship did not work with the people in his parish. They were keen for games, but not for God on the Sabbath. Sage had challenged and then thrown down the champion wrestler for the area, Big Rory. Sounds a little bit like Babe, the, Babe uh, and uh, Paul Bunyan and his blue ox here. Uh, anyway, it says, Rory took his defeat in good heart and willingly entered into an alliance with the minister. Come the next Sabbath, when the locals were at their games, Sage, that's the pastor, and Big Rory, the guy that he muscled down, sallied forth, each grabbed a couple of men, dragged them to the chapel, locked them in, and kept repeating the ploy until they had a respectable, captive congregation. Big Rory stood at the thick, brandishing a club in case someone decided he was not interested in worship. Mr. Sage then ascended the pulpit, led the worship, and preached. The fascinating thing is that there was such an inevitability about it Sage wanted a Sabbath congregation. He was going to have one, and there was nothing any was going to do to stop it. That is the feel that this part of Micah's prophecy gives. If the Messiah or breaker or smasher, and if he is bent on gathering and liberating his people, what or who can possibly stand in his way? And doesn't that put good grit into your soul and steel into your bones? And so to think that our God... Is, is this powerful and the picture that we have here of him taking care of the people and gathering them together in this way. Any comments or questions as we finish with chapter 2? Yes, Eric. Right, yes. 
This is something that is, is, uh, uh, applies to us because we have been grafted into Israel. And I, I, Jacob, or the, Micah was basically prophesying to the southern kingdom. But it was about oh, 10, 12 years before the northern kingdom was obliterated. Uh, king came on in and took them out. And so Micah could have been preaching to the individuals in the northern kingdom also. Now, I know that he couldn't get things out by Twitter or uh, anything like that, but they, they had ways of getting the message uh, out. So anyway, we have been grafted into, uh, into the tree which Christ is the, um, the life for. Any other comments? Okay, then we go on to chapter 3. Now, we notice that I put up, and uh, I don't know how many of you can see this, but that the chapter 1-2 to 2-13 starts out with here. And then it goes from doom, the doom of the these towns and the Shephelah, to hope, what we just talked about here, the hope that they have that Christ is going to be there for them. And so we have this doom to hope. Now we go to chapter 3, and we go on into the same cycle again. We start out with the doom that's forecasted, and then the hope that is to come. And so the chapter 3, verse 1, and I said, here. So you start out with here again. You heads of Jacob and rulers of the house of Israel, is it not for you to know justice? Uh, you who hate the good and love the evil, who tear the skin from off my people and their flesh from off their bones, who eat the flesh of my people and flay their skin from off them and break their bones in pieces and chop them up like meat in a pot, like flesh in a cauldron. One of the things you have to say about Micah is that he is not uh, gentle in his description of things. He's pretty graphic about uh, the way things are going to happen. Then they will cry to the Lord, but he will not answer them. He will hide his face from them at that time because they have made their deeds evil. So we see this again, him uh, prophesying here. And again, here you heads of Jacob and rulers of the house of Israel. Again, I think it could be to the entire nation of Israel, even though the northern kingdom is not going to last very much longer. Uh, Micah prophesied from about 735 to about 680. Now remember this is B.C., so as you go along in the years, they get smaller. And Israel fell in 722. So this was about 13 years after Micah started prophesying that Israel fell and they were gone, and so now he was uh, preaching to the uh, southern tribes. So we see the, he, he goes here to the rulers of the house of Israel. Is it not for you to know justice? So we have a question that we have here. So now, who is he primarily speaking to in these first few verses? 
We know that collectively he's speaking to at least the southern king, Doug. Okay. All right. Yes, so here he is speaking to the rulers, to the leaders, could have been the priests and so on, and he's just asking them the question. Aren't you the people that are supposed to know what's right, how to follow God? And uh, it's a rhetorical question. Uh, Micah doesn't answer it for us, but we know what he's talking about. And it says that you hate the good and love the evil. And so they had things pretty well backwards, which reminds us of a lot of our politicians of today, uh, that they have things pretty backwards as far as the way in which they're uh, ruling things. It says, then, we go to verse 4, then they will cry to the Lord, but they will not hear. Now, what does that indicate? Did you say Mike said then he will cry to Yahweh, but he will not answer them? Okay. Is that what you're uh, yes, then they will cry to the Lord, but he will not answer them. Okay. He will hide his face from them at that time. Okay, their hearts are not right. That's true. Okay, there's the thing. See, all of the things that were happening at the last few verses that Micah was describing so, so vividly about them you know, flaying the people, basically, is what I was talking about. Uh, you know, Dan and and Randy are good at flaying fish. Well, anyway, here he's talking about them as flaying people, that the rulers were doing this. But then they were going to start suffering the consequences that God was placing, and they were going to ask for questions. They were going to pray. They were now going to uh, try to come to the Lord, and the Lord says, no. I'm not going to listen to you. I'm not going to pay attention to you. He will not answer them. He will hide his face from them because they have made their deeds evil, because they have been so evil in all of the judgments that they've made, he is not going to, he's going to treat them to their own medicine. Uh, in Proverbs chapter 21, verse 13, it says, Whoever closes his ear to the cry of the poor will himself call out and not be answered. So this is the idea that we have here, that they were not going to hear from God when they wanted him to answer. Okay, then we go on to verse 5. Thus says the Lord concerning the prophets who lead my people astray who cry peace when they have something to eat, but declare war against him who puts nothing into their mouths. So we see that they, uh, this uh, says, uh, 
who lead my people and they have something to eat. Uh, some of the other versions say that they are biting, that they are biting. And now you think of when you're biting, you probably think of taking in food, eating, so on. But the word which is used for bite and which the English or the ESV says is uh, something to eat is actually the, I think it says it's, it's used 14 times. This word is used 14 times in the Old Testament. It always refers to the fangs of a snake. Now, when you think of the fangs of a snake, what do you think of? Okay, check to see if it's poison. And so when you have this, you actually, it's the idea here that you're going to have poison that's going to be put into you and that you are going to receive this. They are uh, going to be treated like they have the... Uh, uh, being bitten by a snake. Now, the actions of the prophets in Deuteronomy, it says, if a prophet or a dreamer of dreams arises among you and gives you a sign of a wonder, and the sign or wonder that he tells you comes to pass, and if he says, let us go after other gods which you have not known and let us serve them, you shall not listen to the words of that prophet or that dreamer of dreams, for the Lord your God is testing you to know whether you love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. You shall walk after the Lord your God and fear him and keep his commandments, obey his voice, and you shall serve him and hold fast to him. But that prophet or that dreamer of dreams shall be put to death because he has taught rebellion against the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt and redeemed you out of the house of slavery, to make you leave the way in which the Lord your God commanded you to walk. So you shall purge the evil from your midst. So the prophets were doing this. They were now leading the people astray. And so in Deuteronomy, God had told them through Moses what they were to do to those prophets. And so Micah is now reiterating. See, is it reiterating or iterating? I'm never sure which one it is. But anyway, he is telling the, peop the people, you know, you need to um, not be paying attention to the prophets. The prophets are, are, long, are wrong in this. They are leading the, uh, the people astray. Then we see in verse 6, Therefore it shall be night to you without vision, and darkness to you without divination. The sun shall go down on the prophets, and they shall be black, and the day shall be black over them. So we see the uh, what is happening here to the prophets, and again in Deuteronomy it talks about this in Deuteronomy chapter eighteen. Uh, it, uh, I didn't have this one marked. Deuteronomy 18, verses 10 and 11. There shall not be found among you anyone who burns his son out of, or his daughter as an offering, 
Anyone who practices divination or tells fortunes or interprets omens or a sorcerer or a charmer or a medium or a necromancer or one who inquires of the dead. And so here he is talking about these prophets. Evidently, these prophets were doing this. They were going to sorcerers. They were going using divination, uh, their version of the, uh, uh, the Ouija board, uh, and they were doing this type of thing, reading livers and uh, palm, leaf, uh, palm hands, tea leaves, all of these types of things. And instead of where were they supposed to be getting their vision from? They were supposed to be getting it from the Lord. But it says there shall be night to you without vision. In other words, God is telling these people, I'm just going to shut things down. I'm not going to be sending you messages anymore. You are not going to be hearing from God. And uh, if you continue to live in this way, uh, you're going to have to suffer this. Now, here's one of the things that uh, is kind of interesting. How long after Micah was it until the southern kingdom was overtaken? Just give me a rough number. Yeah, it was about 120 years. And so 120 years ago uh, in the United States, we were still a relatively young country. All right, that would have been in the... uh, 1900. And so things what were forecast in 1900 wouldn't take place until 2023. We would say, boy, that, that doesn't seem like it's imminent. But with God, there is no time, and so anything can be imminent. But so the prophets were leaving or were losing their light from God, and uh, they were going to other messages and going to the reading the tea leaves and the palms and all of this type of thing. And uh, they, God is telling them that this is what you are going to suffer for this. Then we see in verse 8, Micah makes another one of these. Jumps. He jumps from doom to hope. Verse 8, But as for me, I am filled with power, with the Spirit of the Lord, and with justice and might to declare to Jacob his transgression and to Israel his sin. So Micah is now saying, But I've got this message from the Lord. That is a message of hope for you. How many of you look at politics? We're going to have another uh, how many months of listening to political speeches that mean very little. Uh, uh, The economic conditions and so on and despair about that. But we know how the story is going to end. We know how the story is going to end, and we have hope 
And this is what Micah is telling the people here. If you will turn from these way, wicked ways, you are going to, uh, you know, I've got the message for you uh, that will uh, help on this. So then we see, well, you know, we have the, the but in there, which is the switch from the doom to the hope. Okay, then we come to verse 9. Hear this, you heads of the house of Jacob and rulers of the house of Israel, who detest justice and make crooked all that is straight. Okay, so we have the jump again for the individual that Micah is noted for. He is going on over now to giving them uh, what's going to happen if they don't obey the Lord. Talks about those who detest justice, individuals that make crooked all that is straight, who build Zion with blood and Jerusalem with iniquity. Um, any idea on what specifically he's talking about there? We know he's talking to the rulers, but building Zion with blood and building Jerusalem with iniquity. Any idea on what Micah is relating to? Okay, now there's one of the things that during the time of Micah, uh, and maybe from just a little bit before to just a little bit afterwards, Jerusalem grew from 37 acres to about 150 acres. Now, the old city of Jerusalem is just a, just a tiny place. You can actually walk across the old city of Jerusalem on one breath. You take a good, deep breath and kind of hurry across. You can get all the way from one border of the old Jerusalem to the old border of Jerusalem on one breath of air. It's a little bit longer than that, but it's up on the top of this mesa. That is the old city of Jerusalem. Well, now Jerusalem is spread on out, and there's three valleys that surround this old uh, area of Jerusalem. And the individuals have gone on out from there. And like the rulers, so on, they live basically west of old Jerusalem. They live in the high areas where the rich people live. In fact, the priests and the rich people, the rulers, they actually built a, uh, a bridge across from where they lived to the old city of Jerusalem, well, actually to the temple, so they could walk across there without having to go through the area of the Hoi Polloi. They didn't want to walk through the slums, and so they could actually walk across there. So anyway, Jerusalem had built, developed uh, very greatly during this time. Now, what might be several of the reasons why Jerusalem grew this fast? Yes, Randy. Okay, that is one of the reasons. Remember that we have the northern kingdom that was being dispersed, and they were actually being taken captive and being taken away. 
But a lot of them probably knew, you know, we better get out of here. Uh, and so there was immigration taking place. Israel is undergoing that same situation right now with the Hamas war, where the individuals in Gaza are trying to escape, uh, and they're escape, trying to escape any place that's going to give them safety. And so this is probably one of the reasons why Jerusalem grew that much. Um, any other thing that might have been cause for this? One other reason might have been that they were, this was the center for worship now, and you probably had some of the faithful Jews that were coming down just so that they could be close to the center of worship. I'm sure that Samaria was pretty well taken out, which was the worship area for the southern half of the northern kingdom, and so they came on down there. But now, as they came down, and as they were there, it says, built Zion with blood and Jerusalem with iniquity. How were these people invited or taken in as they came down to swell the population of Jerusalem? Okay, there was no Salvation Army or Red Cross that was helping to resettle them. They did not figure out how to build affordable housing to be able to resettle these individuals. Right. Yes. <laughs> mm-hmm. Right, and I think that this is some of the thing that we see as we're reading through Micah, these chapters. Micah is telling the people, you know, you are the priests, you are the rulers, you should be showing these individuals how to live. And instead of that, you're actually taking advantage of these people. And so there probably was uh, slavery that was taking place, uh, that the were using these individuals for slaves to build the uh, whatever they needed to build. You go from 37 acres to 150 acres, you have a lot of infrastructure that needs to be built. And so the rulers probably took these individuals in and did this. Also, bribery seemed to be a way of life. Uh, its heads gave judgment for a bribe. Verse 11. So this seemed to be a way of life. This is a way of life in many countries today. Uh, if you go to a third world country, uh, bribery is just one of the things that you put in as far as the cost of doing business. Uh, even the missionaries, as the missionaries are working in third world countries. And you, know, you have to make up your own mind on this. Uh, I was with a missionary down in Peru, and he got stopped for speeding. And he probably was speeding just a little bit when it wasn't a big deal, but the cop stopped him, and he says, I'm going to give you a ticket. And the missionary said, 
don't bother. He says, you don't want to give me a ticket because in Ecuador or in Peru, if a cop gives you a ticket, you now have to, the cop has to go to the courthouse when this individual is brought before the judge and the cop has to now say that, yes, this is the individual that I stopped, this is the offense that he had, and so this means that the cop has to take off a day from work to go to court to testify against the individual that he has arrested. The missionary said, here's $10, just use it to put some oil and gas into your cruiser and you don't have to write me a ticket. Okay, so he did that. Well, is that a form of bribery? Uh, or is that just the way you do business? We were also on a trip and we had to get, <clears throat> we had quite a few students, and so we had to get a bus. We couldn't just use the van, the missionary van. So we had a bus, and the bus was a city bus out of Lima. Good driver, good bus, and so on. But as we're going up the roads out of the city, the <clears throat> cops, the local cops, knew that this is not a normal bus that's traveling along these routes. This is a city bus. So they would stop us. I think we drove about 150 miles each way, and we were stopped 11 times. <laughs> and each time, I think the cheapest one was $80, and the most expensive one was $300 that we had to pay uh, every time, we, you know, we get stopped. He says, oh, this, this is the paper that you need. And so we'd fill out a bunch of papers and so on, pay him his $80, whatever it was, and the next town, we would get stopped again. And the bus driver would show them the papers. Oh, no, those papers don't work in this town. They work in that town. You need these papers. And so we had to fill out another hole. Okay, that is a way of doing business. Uh, yeah, I've got time for one more story. Uh, <laughs> our daughter was going to go to Peru. She... <clears throat> The, the government had shut down. And so, see, I always get this. See, normally you need a passport, right? You get a passport to go. Okay, some countries you need a visa. Well, you needed a visa to go to Peru, but the government had shut down. And so they weren't issuing any visas. So she was going to be able to go on down without a visa, get a visa once she got down there. She was going down there to teach at a missionary school. Well, I had to uh, then... We got a telephone call uh, late Saturday night or early Sunday morning saying that the government is now operating and Michelle is going to have to have a, uh, a visa to be able to get into the country. And you can get a visa in Chicago. Now, we're living in Owatonna, Minnesota. You can get a visa in Chicago. You have to go down to the consulate down there and uh, get, get the visa. So we went on down to Chicago Saturday, Sunday afternoon, she was going to pack on Monday because she was leaving Tuesday morning at 6 a.m. to fly down to Peru. So we had to take Monday to go on down to Chicago. And so we got down there, and I was at the consulate at 9 o'clock in the morning when they opened up and talked about this. No, they couldn't find any paperwork that she had. So I made about three telephone calls, though this is days before you had a mobile phone, so I had to find a pay phone. And to find a pay phone, I had to call to Baptist Mid-Missions to tell, 
tell them, you know, there's no paperwork up here for Michelle. She said, oh, there has to be. And so we went through all of this, and finally the lady said, I was talking to a lady kind of like this there, and then there was another lady who was back like in that second row, and I kept asking this lady, don't you have this for Michelle Deckard? No, we don't have any of that. And so then the Baptist mid told me, he says, you've got to ask for Consuela. So I went up there and I said, are you Consuela? No, Consuela is back here. And so he pointed just back, about four feet, and Consuela was there. Consuela had it. She heard the whole conversation that I was going through. And so anyway, she had to put four stamps in that booklet. It took her half an hour to put four stamps into that. Four stamps the size of a postage stamp and so on. Uh, one of them had to be licked. The other two had to have glue put on the back of them and so on. So anyway, she finished this at about 11 o'clock. At 10 o'clock, I had seen the consular had come on in, gone back to his office. So <clears throat> then she finally got this all taken care of. And she says, the consular can sign this when he comes back from lunch, which he'll be back from lunch at 2. And I said, I can't wait till 2. I've got to get all the way back to Minnesota. My daughter has to pack. She's leaving at 6 in the morning. She said, well, let me see once what I can do about it. So she goes on in there and comes back, and she says, for $50, the consular will sign it now, and you can have it. Okay, now this is back in, uh, you know, 30 years ago, when $50 meant something. And so I paid the $50 and got her passed. But that is the way business is being conducted, and that's the way business was being conducted in Israel and what Micah is talking about. Okay, I got going on my story, and we didn't finish chapter 3, but there's always next Sunday, Lord willing. And if we're not here next Sunday, we won't, we'll know this anyway. <laughs> so, uh, you are dismissed.